Hey everyone, and welcome to SermonCast, where we share just the message portion of our past week's service. We hope this gives you the opportunity to better digest the teaching, whether you're listening to it again or for the first time. Our current series is entitled, Knowing God After the Book of the Same Name, written by J.I. Packer. And now, this week's message. He created countless galaxies and the sun in the sky outside. He owns the air you're breathing and crafted the lungs you breathe it with. He's so big your wildest dreams can't fathom his size, but there are fewer grains of sand in all the earth than thoughts he has had about you. He's known you since before this planet was spinning. Isn't it time, right now, today, that you get to know him too? Today is the last message in the series that we've had called Knowing God, and it's based on a book with that title written by a, a theologian named J.I. Packer, and I'm honored to present you that last message. And it seems to me that if we're going to say we want to know some things about God, we, we ought to start off by talking to him about that and asking him for his guidance. So will you pray with me? Almighty God. Our Father, Lord, I call you both of those things because that's what you are. You're almighty. You're great beyond our imagination. And you're our Father and you relate to us personally. How how wonderful that is. And God, how wonderful it is that you told us about yourself and that you give us your spirit to understand and apply the truths that you have for us. So, So today, Lord, I pray that my words would be your words that your spirit would take what it says in the scripture to us and help us to apply it to our lives and make a difference in how we live. God, we, we truly do want to know you. I pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the book, Knowing God, there's a chapter called The Magnificence, or the, excuse me, it's not The Magnificence of God, um, but it's what this particular message comes from. Um, It's the majesty of God. And the Hebrew word for majesty really means greatness. It doesn't mean like royalty. It means how great he is. And so this message somewhat follows along with what you would find if you read that chapter in the book. So I want to start out by asking you to imagine that you're sitting with me out in the lobby and we're having a cup of coffee. And I say to you, Tell me, what's God like? Or you're talking to your neighbor, and your neighbor doesn't happen to be a believer. And the neighbor says, tell me, but what's God like? What would you say? Well, you really don't have to answer those questions. I'm not going to make you answer those questions, and there won't be a quiz about it. They're just warm-up questions to get your mind thinking that way. Because there is a question about God that you do have to answer. And that's the question that every one of us asks ourselves: What is God like? You don't have an option. You necessarily have to answer that question. Now you might say, no, I don't. I'm not going to answer that. I'm not even going to ask myself that question. And I'm not going to answer it. Well, folks, if you take that approach, you've already answered the question. You've said, I think God is someone who's irrelevant to me or who doesn't care if I 
know what he's like or is sometimes connected to me or somewhat not or or maybe I think God is mysterious out there and he hasn't told us much about what he's like. So see, you do necessarily have to answer that question. And on that idea that God is out there and doesn't tell us what he's like, let's stop right there. And I want to make two basic principle statements for you about knowing God. And the first one is that God absolutely, definitely, positively wants us to know him. There's no question about that. He has revealed himself to us. And where he revealed himself to us is in the Bible. And he wants us to know him. The Bible is full of statements, if you seek me, you will find me. He's not hiding himself from us. Um, You probably know that the great statement in Jeremiah, if you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. It shows up in other places as well. So that first principle is God does want us to know him and he's not hiding himself from us. The second basic principle for us to to know is that we don't have to guess what God is like. We don't have to speculate or wonder. God has completely told us right here in his word. He has fully disclosed himself to us. It's all over in the Bible. And that should be our source for figuring out what God is like. Now, you might have heard somebody say, you know, I think God is love. And I think that's really the essence of God. And so you don't have to worry about anything else about God. Or I think my God would not condemn somebody for this or that, or my God wouldn't do this. Folks, that's not the way the Bible approaches our knowledge of God. God made us in his image. We don't make him in our image. The truth about God is to be found in his word. So those are the two first basic principles. God wants us to know him. And he told us what he's like in his word. So back to the question that you have to answer to yourself. What is God like? That's a huge question, folks. In fact, I want to give you a principle about that question that I think is the biggest single principle from this entire series on knowing God. And here it is. What you think about God determines everything else in your life. Think about that. What you think about God determines everything else in your life. I hope you're thinking, I'm not sure if I believe that. I hope you're chewing through that. But let me help you. What you think about God determines what you think about yourself and who you think you are. What you think about God determines how you view all the other people around you, in your family, your neighbors, people at work, all other people. What you think about God determines that. What you think about God determines your values. What you think about God determines what you pursue, and it determines how you pursue it. And folks, what you think about God determines if you will trust in anything other than yourself when life gets tough. And believe me, life will get tough. It's a true principle. What you think about God determines everything else in your life. I just didn't think this up on my own, folks. The Bible says as much. There's these two great verses from Jeremiah chapter 29 or chapter 9 that I want to share with you today. And these are God's words. And I hope that you take this home and think about these two verses throughout this week. 
Let me share these with you. Thus says the Lord, this is God talking, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. And then he goes on to describe himself some more, but we can stop right there. Think about those verses. What they tell me is, whatever I accomplish in life, whatever I think I'm good at, whatever I think my abilities are, whatever I might say, I'm kind of proud of that. That's nothing. Don't boast in that. The only thing that matters is that I know and understand God. In other words, what I think of God determines everything else in my life. So back to that personal question that you're asking yourself. I'm asking myself this week while I'm preparing for this. What do I think God is like? That's a particularly hard question for me to ask, folks, because I think I could pass a test, an academic test on what is God like. I think I could list a bunch of his characteristics and tell you what he's like. But I have to ask myself, do you really believe that in your heart? Keith, do you really believe that enough that it makes a difference in how you live? That it makes a difference in how you see other people? That it makes a difference in what you value and what you pursue? That's, that's a tough place to be, folks. So I'm going to let you off the hook and say, let's, let's not go right there yet. Sooner or later, you're going to have to answer that question to yourself. What do I think, what I really believe in my heart God is like? But before that, let's just say, what do people in general think God is like? Well, some people take the Star Wars approach, right? Let the force be with you. And they think God is like this mysterious force. Did you guys never see Star Wars? Come on, you guys know this. You saw that. Or at least some of you are old enough to have seen Star Wars. Um, the force, it's some, this mysterious, impersonal thing way out there, nobody knows where that causes or has some effect on Jedi Knights and really connects with them and not so much with anybody else. And it's impersonal. And it has two sides. It has a good side, they call the light, and it has a bad side, they call the dark side. And some people think that's what God is like, this impersonal, mysterious life force out there that wraps everything up. Folks, that is not the God of the Bible. Not whatsoever. Let's start with the personal idea first. The fact is, the God in the Bible is very personal. In fact, he's a person. Not a human person, but a person, a being that relates to us in a personal way. And we can find that all over in the scriptures. In fact, I'm saying in fact a lot. I'm going to change that. Um, Go to the creation story. God made the animals, and then he made Adam. And then what happened next? Do you remember? God went to Adam, and he brought the animals one by one, and he said, hey, Adam, I want you to name these guys. What do you want to call this one? And what do you, can you imagine that conversation? When they saw the giraffe, what are you going to name this? I mean, it's very cool. 
it's a personal relationship kind of thing. And then God worked on, none of these are going to be a good helpmate for you, Adam. I want to find something for you. And then God walked in the garden and talked to Adam. And see how personal the relationship that is? That's what kind of relationship God wants to have with us. Not like the Star Wars Force. And the Bible goes on and tells us that Noah had that kind of relationship with him, and Moses did, and Abraham did, and, and we can see lots of other examples. So God is personal. Now, as far as this Star Wars idea that God has good and bad in him, the yin and the yang of life, you know, the balance of everything in nature, that's just, that's just nonsense, folks. Utter nonsense. The truth about God is that he is completely, totally perfect. He is all good. There is no bad. There is no darkness, not whatsoever. Nothing bad comes from God. It is, it's off the table. And, and 1 John says as much. Take a look at this verse, 1 John 1, 5. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, most of us, I think, can grab onto this idea that God is personal. You know, last week, Galen talked to us about how personal God is, that he wants to adopt us as his children, and he wants to relate to us that way. Is that not incredible? But there's a danger, folks, when we exclusively focus on this personal relationship nature of God to the exclusion of other things. And that danger is that we start thinking God is like others that I have a personal relationship with. Like you or like you. We start thinking God is like a person and he relates to us like people. And there are some big problems with that particular approach to relating to God. So let me give you some examples. Um, there are lots of them. You could come up with lots of ways that people give human characteristics to God and, and they think that stuff about God. But, but one that you might have heard is God is kind of like a kindly old grandfather, right? You've heard this one and grandpa really loves the grandkids and he likes to spoil them and he overlooks their faults and he thinks it's cute when they do naughty things. And, and he even says that the kids, his kids, the parents of the grandkids deserve it. You know, you, I've done that probably. Um, that's the grandfather approach to God. And we think God is like a human. But, but what else do we know about grandpas, grandfathers? Well, grandfathers aren't always around. And if the grandkids want to hide something from grandpa... If they don't want him to know about it, we can do a pretty good job of that. And sometimes, grandpa even needs the grandkids' help to program the cell phone, right? Um, th that's, how, that's how it works. That's what happens when we start putting human characteristics onto God. Another example of how we put human characteristics onto God, and one that I'm probably more guilty of than the grandfather one, is we think of God as a bigger, better version of myself. God's like me, except that he doesn't have any faults. He's perfect, and he's really strong. But he acts in ways that make sense to me. He does things that add up to my human brain. 
The problem with using that approach to God is what, what do we do when things don't make sense? And let me give you an example of that. Karen and I had this friendship with a family, and the young mother got cancer. And uh, she had a, they had a great family, three kids and a husband. And I was convinced, and a lot of people were convinced, that God should heal her. And so I prayed and prayed. I prayed in my Sunday school class, and our Sunday school class prayed for her. And many people in our community prayed for her and were convinced that there was no way this would, she should die. And she died. And folks, I said to God, what sense does that make? I thought you should make sense. Why would you leave this family without a mother? Why would you leave this husband without a wife? What on earth, God? And when I start thinking that way about God in those human terms, that doesn't make sense to me. Then what's the next step? I start thinking, well, maybe God isn't as good as I thought he was. Maybe there's a limit to his goodness. Or maybe God isn't as powerful as I thought he was, and there's a limit to his power. Or maybe I think God isn't, isn't at all. So folks, when we use human characteristics to think of God, there's a common thread that comes out. And that common thread is we necessarily start putting limits on God because we're humans and humans are limited. And you know, the God in the Bible is not described to us as limited. Also, when we start thinking of God in human terms, we lose that concept of his greatness, of how magnificent, of how far above us he is. The Bible calls it the fear of God. We lose that when we think of God in, in human terms. So, so how can we avoid that? How can we get back the proper understanding of God's greatness and how incredible he is and avoid using human limitations, making God small in human terms. Well, J.I. Packer proposes that we do two things. We take two steps. So I'm going to share those with you today. The first step is to remove any thoughts that limit God. Step one. And step two is to compare God with things that are great, that we know are great. And if we do those two things, see where we come out. Well, well, fortunately for us, this isn't just an academic or a J.I. Packer exercise. That's what the Bible does. And we're going to look at two scriptures, one that applies removing small thoughts, limitations on God, and the other one that compares God to great things. And we're going to see if we can understand how great he is. So go with me to Psalm 139. And the background to this psalm is David is a king, and he writes this psalm, and, and I'm not sure what the story was, but he's being very introspective, and he's trying to understand God's relationship to people. And I mentioned we're going to use this psalm to 
remove any thoughts of God that limit him. Now, what kind of thoughts of God would we have that limit him? Well, the first one that comes to my mind is God doesn't really understand me. Anybody ever felt like that? I don't see any hands. Maybe I'm the only one in the room. Okay. The second one is God isn't really here all the time. And I know some of you have felt like, where's God? I'm on my own. And the third limiting thought is, and I just mentioned it in the story of our friend, maybe God doesn't have that much power to do that. Maybe he can't do that. Okay, well, let's see what Psalm 139 says about those three limiting thoughts. Um, For the first one, we're going to look at the first four verses of Psalm 139. So read those along with me. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. So search out my path means you look at where I'm traveling, where I lie down, that's at home. You're acquainted with all my ways. He says, you understand everything, whether I'm on the road or at home, whatever there is about me. Um, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. And we're going to stop there with verse 4, and we'll pick up in a minute. So on that issue, maybe God doesn't know me, or maybe there are limits to his knowledge of me. Look at what this psalm tells us, and look at how David approached this. He says, there's no limit to God's knowledge of us. None whatsoever. God even knows what I'm thinking before I think it. God absolutely knows everything about me, even if I think he doesn't. Now, so we have this principle, there's no limit to God's knowledge of me. What difference does that make in our lives? Well, you remember two Sundays ago, Galen talked to us about how God has this severity and kindness, opposing kind of our complementary natures. Well, there's a severity and a kindness to how this truth that God's knowledge of us is unlimited there's a severity and a kindness to that. So here's the severity. This says God knows my thoughts. He knows every one of my thoughts. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but I can control my behavior pretty well, especially when I'm out in public. I can act right. But sometimes I don't necessarily think right. You know, somebody pulls out in front of me, and you know what thoughts go through my mind? This says God knows all of those thoughts, every one of them. The severity side of this is I need to work on controlling my thoughts, folks. If I want to completely connect to God and have that relationship with me, with him, I got to work on that thought life. And what's the kindness side of God having no limits on his knowledge of me? The kindness is wonderful. Think about it. I am never ignored. I'm never, ever unnoticed. I'm never misunderstood. Do you ever feel misunderstood? God doesn't do that. He knows everything in our hearts. Is that not incredible? 
So we can remove that first limiting thought and start thinking about how great God it is that God's knowledge of me is unnoticed. The next limiting thought is maybe God isn't always around. We're going to use Psalm 139, 5 to 12 to analyze those. Verse 5, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. So, so what this is kind of saying is behind and before, it says you've got an offensive line out there in front blocking for you. That's God doing that. And he's got your back too. And your hand, the hand on you, that's the hand of blessing. That's what David says God is doing for him and for us. And then he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Now, remember when I said sometimes God doesn't make sense to us if we use human ideas to analyze God? Think about this verse. This is the solution to understand that God's ways are so wonderful. They're so far beyond us. On to uh, verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? When do you want to flee or hide from God? Yeah. It's like when you wanted to hide from your parents when you did something wrong. Yeah. Okay, let's go on. Um, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning. So taking the wings of the morning, that's like... I'm flying away from here as fast as the dawn is lighting up the horizon to the west. Is that, I mean, that's like fleeing. That's like scooting out of here faster than a jet plane. Or if I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, out in the middle of the ocean where there's nothing, either one of those, and look what he says, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Folks, is that not incredible? He says it's not just that God is there, but he's holding us and he's leading us. Let's go on. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. I'm going to stop there. So, to the limiting idea that, that God isn't everywhere, the truth is God's presence with me is also unlimited. His knowledge of me is unlimited, and his presence with me is unlimited. I, absolutely unlimited. Now think about what that means. Just like with the fact that his knowledge of me is unlimited has a severe side and a kind side, so does this. And, and, and the severe side is, you know, I might be able to hide my actions or my heart or who I am from you, but I can't hide anything from God. He's there. He sees every bit of it. I might be able to deceive you. I might be able to come across as something different than I really am to you, but I can't do that. Not even one bit with God. His knowledge of me, his presence with me is unlimited. That's the severe side. Kind of motivates you, I hope. What's the good side? The goodness side is incredible. I am never, ever alone. 
even when I feel alone, even when I'm not aware of God's presence, I'm never without his presence and with his hand to hold me and guide me. Imagine that. So now David goes on in the psalm in 139 and talks about God's power. And and he does that in a unique way by talking about the miracle of the human body. And we don't have time today to go into why why would he use that example? There were lots of other ways that he could talk about God's power, but but that's what he does here. So let's look at at the next verses, um, 13 to 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. And the depths of the earth means the womb. Um, Let's go on to 16. This is what he says. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So I think David was being introspective, as I said, and was saying, God, do you really have power to help me personally? I don't know if he was in a battle, if people were after him at that point. If he felt like, at one time I thought maybe he felt like he was getting old, but I don't believe that's, that's what happened. I, that's where maybe my life is right now. Um, but at any rate, he says, just like there's no limit to God's knowledge of him, and just like there's no limit to God's presence with him, there's no limit to God's power with him. And that's because of how intricately, magnificently, wonderfully the human body is made. And then he ends it up with saying, and you wrote in my form when it was formless every one of my days. Now, David wrote that psalm a little more than 1,000 B.C., 1,010 or some 1,000 years before Christ. So that's about 3,000 years ago today. Now, since then, science has confirmed a lot of things that it says in the Bible, and it's confirmed verse 16. So let me tell you how that works. Okay, so you know how babies are made, and you know where they come from. There's a cell from mom, and that cell has 23 chromosomes, and a cell from dad, and it has 23 chromosomes. And together, they get together, and humans, see, have 46 chromosomes, right? And there's these 23 pairs, and those pairs match up, and they form a helix, and in that helix in the, of chromosomes is your DNA. And from that very first formless one cell is your entire genetic code for the rest of your life. And scientists have discovered that it's sort of written out in a script. It's in sequence. And there's these things called nucleotides that different ones match up in different orders and different spaces. And they sequence together and put together your entire genetic code for the rest of your life. Every one of your days was written out before you were formed from the very beginning. Is that not incredible? That's the kind of power God has for us. 
And you know how many of those sequence codes there are in that one cell? Same as you got now. Three billion. Is that not cool? So, when you're going through this question, asking yourself, what do I really think about God? Go to Psalm 139 and see that his knowledge of me is unlimited. His presence with me is unlimited and his power to me is unlimited. Now, step two in describing God and taking away the human limitations we make is comparing him to things that we see as great. And for that, we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 40. And now if you go to Isaiah chapter 40, there, the whole chapter is about how great God is. And it has lots of great studies that we could do. But we'd be here till, till dark tonight if we went over every one of them. So I'm going to just pick out three. Um, verse 9 in Isaiah, God says to Isaiah, Go shout on the mountains, here is your God, or behold your God. So he's saying, God is saying, this is what I'm like. And then it goes on from there. So, so we're going to start with verse 12. And there, God compares himself to the world that he created. Now, so on this exercise, we're comparing God to things that are great, right? Look what he says. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Well, it's kind of a rhetorical question. God is saying, I'm the one who did all these things. That's how great I am. Folks, let's break this down. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? The waters of all the earth in the hollow of his hand you know how much water there is on the earth? So I Googled it. You could go Google this. It's, it's fun. Here is the answer. 326 million trillion gallons. That's 326 followed by 18 zeros gallon jugs of water. And God can hold all of that in the palm of his hand. When we're starting to think about the greatness of God the awesome majesty of God, there's a start. Look at the next thing he says. Who has marked off the heavens with a span? Okay, so a span is this, from the tip of my thumb to the tip of my little finger. And you put, put that down on something and you can tell how far it is. And my span is right at nine inches. And maybe yours is, you know what yours is, but you span something by putting your hand on it. God says he does that to the heavens. You know how big that is? I'm going to give you a little example. Next time you go look at the Big Dipper, you know, I'm not a very good astronomer, but I can find the Big Dipper most nights. When you look at the Big Dipper on the end of, this, of the scoop, the last two stars, and we call them the pointer stars, if you line them up and they point at Polaris, at the North Star, right? Okay, so those two pointer stars look up there and they're not very far apart. Don't look very far apart. You know how far apart those two stars are? 123 light years apart. That's how far they are. And a light year, one light year is 5.8 trillion miles. 
And those two stars are 123 times that. And God measures way more than that with the span of his hand. How great is that? Or the next one, he says, I measured the dust of the earth in a cup. I see a a one cup measuring cup. So I couldn't find how much dust is on the earth when I Googled it. But I did find how much dust is in the atmosphere circulating around the earth. And so I think it's fair to it's fair to assume, isn't it, that there's more dust on the earth, on the ground, than there is out in the air? Okay, so you want to know how much dust is in the air? Here you go. 17 million metric tons. Now, a metric ton, 2,000 kilograms, that's about the size of a full-grown elephant. So think of 17 million elephants in a little measuring cup. That's how great, that's how big, that's how incredible God is. And the next one, he weighed the mountains, and you can't, I couldn't find that, but you can go look it up, how much Mount Everest weighs, you can find that kind of stuff. And it's, it's beyond imagination. Isn't this cool? Isn't this fun to think about how great our God is? How magnificent he is? How unlike humans he is? Okay, the next thing God compares himself to that we're going to look at is in verses 15 and 17. And he compares himself to nations. Think of of all the great empires, Alexander the Great, or the Roman Empire, or um, Napoleon's Empire, or maybe think of the United States, or Russia, or China. Um, Here's what God says about all these great nations. And you can think about their military might and their control and their their economic uh, worth. Look what God says. Behold, all the nations are like a drop from a bucket. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. That's what God says. He's compared to the nations like like they're nothing. They're less than nothing. So folks, I think next time I watch the news and I start getting worried about China or whatever it is that manages to worry you on the news, and most of it is this kind of stuff, politics and governments and nations. God says they're less than nothing to him. Is that not wonderful that we have that kind of God? The last thing that he compares himself to that I'm going to share with you today is found in verse 26, and God compares himself to the whole universe. There's comparing God to something that's great. Look what he says. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. So he's saying, go out and look at the stars. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. God said, go look at how magnificent the sky is and the stars and I created it all, and I call every one of them by name. I want to share with you a picture. It's been a little smoky lately. I tried to go out and look, preparing for this. But take a look at this one. That's a picture of the core of the Milky Way taken from Vitavu right up here. And the light in the background is Cheyenne. Look at that. Is that not incredible? You see how many stars there are, and God calls everyone by name? 
and everyone is maintained in its place by his power, that's how great our God is. That's removing these thoughts that would make God small, that would limit him. So back to our original question. Now I am going to give it to you to answer for yourselves. What is God like? What do you think God is like? Well, from Psalm 130, or from Isaiah 40, we see that he's far, far greater than the world that he created. And he's greater than the nations or rulers or powers. In fact, they're less than nothing to him. And we see that he's greater than the universe. In fact, he maintains the universe. And from Psalm 139, we see that God is unlimited. He's unlimited in his knowledge of me. I'm never, never ignored. He's unlimited in his presence with me. I'm never, ever alone. He's unlimited in his power toward me. There's, no, there's nothing that he cannot do. Folks, do you need an unlimited God? I do. In fact, the more I think about it, I don't want to worship a God who has limits. That's what's so cool about the God that we worship and honor and praise is that he has that kind of magnificence of greatness. And it gives us that holy fear of him when we compare ourselves to him. Are you in awe of this unlimited God? If you are, folks, then those truths about God should determine everything else in your life. And one of the things they determined for me from the very start is it just makes me want to worship and praise him. Doesn't it you? So the worship team's going to come out and play for us, and we're going to continue to praise God for how great he is. Can we all close together and stand and sing this song together? The splendor of the king and clothed in majesty and all the earth rejoice all the earth rejoice he wraps himself in light and darkness tries to hide and trembles at his voice trembles at his voice my God when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, and I see the stars, and I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe display how great is our God sing with me how great is our God and all will see how great how great is our God and when 
everything that God his son not sparing sent him to die I scarce can take it in that on the How great thou art, 
great thou art how great thou art isn't it so wonderful that our god is that great doesn't it make your soul want to sing well king david when he grasped how great god is wrote a blessing out for god and we find it in First uh, Chronicles 29, and, and I want to use it as our, our blessing closing prayer today, and I'd like for you to all recite it with me. It'll be up on the screen. Maybe. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Oh, isn't it good to praise his glorious name? Folks, this week, whether you go across the street or around the world, remember how great is our God. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us in this week's Sermon Cast podcast. Remember to subscribe to this channel so you don't miss any of our content like our regular Cheyenne Hills podcast where Pastor Galen Huck and the learned Nathan Winters discuss modern issues facing Christians today. Check out our church's website at CheyenneHills.org, download our app, and most importantly, be strong and very courageous. God bless you.